0: Do you ever miss the rain, standing on the crowded underground of London, looking out over a building site somewhere in the city of London? I'll be perfectly honest, no. I must admit, I
1: love it here. It's, It's a fantastic place to be. You're listening to Move Your Business to the United States with me, your host, Kevin Turley. At South by Southwest, Austin's very own international festival of media and tech, it can seem that entrepreneurs are two a penny. Believe me, many of the men and women there have lots to say. But that said, few are more experienced than successful serial entrepreneur and New Yorker, Ethan Mayers, CEO of Tilt Innovations.
2: Hi, I'm Ethan Mayers from New York City. I'm a serial entrepreneur.
3: It's great to have you um, on the podcast here with us. We talk a lot about entrepreneurship. We talk a lot about bringing um, clients from Europe to the United States. And we appreciate very much to have someone like you who is a very experienced entrepreneur and is also experienced in helping other entrepreneurs. Because I I find often with experts, um, it's a totally different thing of being able to do it yourself and help other people doing it. It's a different mindset. Not everybody can do it, right? Oftentimes, the best salespeople can't teach anyone else how to do sales, right? So it's, it's a very common thing. So we appreciate uh, very much to have you on board, and I look forward to this conversation.
0: We're, we're sitting in the, um, the lobby of the Hilton in downtown Austin. There's a little bit of background noise, but um, people are banging and ra- crashing, but let, don't let that throw us. Um, Ethan, I'm really interested in your journey to entrepreneurialism. So um, for our listeners, can you give us some idea of how you've become the sort of serial entrepreneur you are today?
2: So, yeah, thank you. And and, and thank you for having me. Um, My story is very atypical. I think of a typical career path, but very typical of an entrepreneur, which is said to say I, I think that an entrepreneur's journey is like a snowflake. Each story is very unique and innovative and only makes sense for them. It's about what the narrative thread that binds them. So I actually used to be a television producer for about six and a half years. And so one of the things that I, of course, bring to every entrepreneurial journey, journey is that ability to tell stories and ability to convey information. And back about 12 years ago, I was working on a daily TV show and it got canceled. And it caused me to reflect upon where I want to go in life uh, and what I want to do. And what I realized was that I became a TV producer because I was in it for more of the artistic side and I didn't want to actually produce anybody else's art. I wanted to do it for myself. And I've been coding since I was five years old. Uh, and I took stock of my skills and realized that I really was more interested in tech and business. And so I actually called a mentor of mine uh, who had guided my TV career and he ended up being in private equity. And he funded media projects. So he brought me in as a research analyst. That was my first job in the field of business. Uh, and then for about a year and a half, I actually worked in financial services for a portfolio company of Lehman Brothers, right before the economic crisis, and watched a company grow from six people to 120 in 14 months. And they were very, very, very well funded. It was funded by Warburg Pincus and Lehman Brothers. And I was this interesting utility player that was half office manager and half literally fill in whatever is missing. So I had to learn compliance, I had to learn marketing, I had to learn every aspect of the business to fill in. And when the economic crash happened, the portfolio company failed. And several of my friends said, you seem like a business savant, will you help me? I'm starting a business. And then because of that, I started a consulting firm. And so I started that um, consulting firm and I ran it for six and a half successful years and we had two parts of the practice where we'd go in and help people build their operations and that's how I learned how to scale businesses. And the other half, we're actually we're working with startups as interim executives. So we were, we were CEOs and CFOs of several startups around the US. I started going international with my first project in Canada in 2013. And then in 2014, I went in-house at a private equity company who was looking to build a blockchain solution for their investments. They were investing in manufacturing facilities in Asia and then I took my work global.
0: Ethan, I I almost feel like I have to have a lie down after listening to all of that. That's an amazing resume, which you just breezily sort of throw out there. But I mean, just one of the things, you you know, when you were transiting and you were talking about suddenly you were office manager and everything else besides, you just sort of glided over that. But I'm I'm wondering a little bit about your mindset at that point. You know, I mean, a lot of people are thrown by challenge and thrown by newness, right? Most people like safety. Now, even entrepreneurs, they kind of have their own little groove and they go with it, where it seems to me you were fielding everything and anything. Where did you get the sort of resources, the inner resources to kind of do that? Were you
2: just blagging it? What was going on in your mind in that period? Uh, Thank you. Um, So first of all, I have an insatiable curiosity. So I probably spend two to three hours every single day reading just about all sorts of different topics. So I've always had that. So I've always had the ability to pick up things. So that just is something that I had innate. Um, So if I go back to 2007, eight, I remember a very fateful conversation I had uh, in financial services where I was interviewing for a job before I became an entrepreneur. And I looked at that career path and said, I don't know if that's interesting. I I watched a lot of my, well, two things happen. I watched a lot of my friends lose their jobs because of the economic crisis. And I saw that the more specialized skill set that you get, the more vulnerable you were for what other people would do to you. And I said, I wanted autonomy among everything else. And there was, of course, there's this barrier to speak about barrier. Who am I? I mean, uh, going to start my own consulting firm, the previous job I had was essentially half office manager, half utility worker. What makes me qualified? I had to make a decision. And I just had to say, well, what doesn't make me qualified? And and the answers for that were, I had a title. Yeah, but someone bestowed that title upon me. I didn't give that title to myself. That was something that society gave to me. Um, That's where I fit in that particular org org chart at that particular time in history. That was not a summation of my entire skill set. That was not a summary of me as a person. That was not a holistic uh, holistic view of my humanity. That was what I did. You
3: bring up a very interesting point there, Ethan. So that, that makes me wonder... Are you an artist or are you an entrepreneur? Or are you an artist who is also in, in business?
2: I think part of the problem is the labels. I am a, a father. I'm a husband. I'm a musician. I'm a writer. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm an artist. Entrepreneurship for me is the way that I can express my best skill set out to the world and be able to bring resources home for it. So it is the job that I've created for myself, and it's expression of all these things. So to your point, when I start companies, there's an art to it. And there's a science. I started school studying engineering physics. There's a science to it. There's an art to it. I use my whole self. So back in 2007-8, when I started on this journey, I think the most critical part for me was the decision. That I just said, I'm going to do this. That all of the reasons why I wouldn't were self-constructed. There was no reason why I can't, so I just decided to do it. I didn't know where it was going to go. I didn't know what was going to happen, but it was just that single decision. And um, Sebastian, do you recognize something
0: of your own journey in that? Because this idea of decision, I mean, there's, there's an awful lot in what Ethan said there, which I identify with, which is, first of all, you put it much better than I've heard it in a lot of times, which is the labels that you're given, the titles that you're given as opposed to deciding who you are and what you're going to do. Can you recognize that in your own entrepreneurial journey?
3: Definitely. yeah. I think, uh, I think Ethan, you said a number of things that are very true. I think that are very true among many um, entrepreneurs. So first of all, that, that notion of, you know, determining one's own destiny, not being satisfied with labels or particular roles, you know, not seeing the world in a compartmentalized way, but more in a, you know, more like a renaissance man, you know, being able like like Da Vinci, you know, being an artist, being an engineer, being a business person. Um, yeah, I, I share that mindset very much.
0: I don't know if you've come across this mindset in North America, but certainly in Europe, there is a mindset which is that unless you ha- that you you're only allowed one title, you're only allowed to do one thing in your life, and who are you to decide to do something else or change or or become something which you weren't as you say, given the title. Do you, is there is there the same mentality in the United States or is it slightly more freer in terms of entrepreneurialism?
2: I think you bring up some good points. So I'm going to expand on it a little bit, if that's okay. Um, one of the things, so I've been to 60 countries and probably mentored in about 25 of them. And so I've been able to see entrepreneurship from a lot of different angles and a lot of different co- companies and cultures. There are a couple of threads. And I think the thread that you're talking about or bringing up is actually the support that you get from your family and friends. And that, to me... Often, more often than not determines an entrepreneur's level of success. I've seen it both ways. So I've seen family and friends completely turn on the entrepreneur and they actually use that energy to become successful. That's really hard. That's super rare. That doesn't happen most often. Most often, it's the close family and friends willing to support someone's journey. Uh, to your point, a lot of cultures don't. The U.S. is much more supportive of entrepreneurial risk-taking behaviors. But even within the U.S., you have sub-tech sub that are not supportive more conservative families, where the mom and the dad are just like go get a job. Um, I've I've heard I've heard that. Uh, my own family has said that to me at times. My own father has asked me like I don't understand what you do because it doesn't make sense to him. So. What I would say to that is, yes, there are cultural elements. And I think that uh, having worked in London, I do see that much more. For instance, British society is much more of an engineering society. And engineers are cogs, they're builders, they're makers. You fit into an org chart, you fit into a place. So to tell somebody that you're going to be a Renaissance person, to tell somebody that you're going to be an innovator, it's a little odd. It's becoming more accepted. But the difference is typically not the city you live in or the country. It's actually your close friends and family. If you have their support, then you can overcome their odds. Would you go further, Ethan, and also talk, though, about it's, it's about a mindset,
0: you know, that um, anybody who sets out on this journey, you're going to have to have a very robust mindset and a real grit, a real belief in your own path. Otherwise, no matter how much support you get from other people uh, or how many, or much brickbats you get from other people, it's a kind of an internal battle that has to be won first before you take
2: it beyond the city walls. So I'm only going to talk for a moment about my perspective. Jo- jobs to me are a little bit about like dating and finding where you fit in the world. And one of the things at least that happened for me personally is once I found this thing called entrepreneurship, I it made crystal clear that all the other things that I'd done in my life weren't quite a good fit and that this was. And so... For me it's it's the de- the decision that I made that I referred to earlier was actually about deciding that the title itself didn't matter and I'm just going to call myself a CEO and whatever happens happens. But once I fit into it, it's like I'm an entrepreneur I guess that's what I've been and I guess I found my place it was it was almost like an awakening if that makes sense. I think it's really hard if you're trying to force yourself, if you're a square block and trying to go into a round hole, I think entrepreneurship is not for a lot of people. And I think if it's something that you're looking at like a job or that you really need to change your mindset, it may not be. Uh, an entrepreneurial journey is about the most one of the most unique things that you could do in life. It has the, the highest highs, can't even express how great they are, and some of the lowest lows. And you can only, to me, reach in to find your way through it. If you really believe that in your DNA, this is what I'm supposed to be here on earth doing. And it's not a decision or even a mindset change. It's more for me, it just clicked. I started doing my own thing and this is great. I'm, you know, I'm making less money than I ever had before. And I'm happier because I have the control and the autonomy and the direction that I want and that I can actually make a viable path for myself. What I never wanted. when I, when I, it it came very clear that there were two paths and the other path with a job is that you're exchanging monetary stability in exchange for complete control. And that the worst thing, that the worst thing I decided, again, I'm only going to speak from my perspective. The single worst thing I realized was I did everything right and still lose, not because I did anything wrong. And that was when I realized like I am an entrepreneur because, um, I will accept failure if whatever, I built the wrong product, the market doesn't accept it. At least I know. That's fine. That's that's on me. I didn't pivot fast enough. I can learn. I can adjust. But I saw some of my friends come into work one day sorry, some bad trade some halfway around the world, nothing that you did. You did great, great work. Here's a month of severance for every year you lurk. Thanks for your nine years. Have a good day. That to me was was a, was a failure that I was not willing to take. I've been on this journey because I decided that that was no longer a path that it made sense to me and that the entrepreneurship It was just in my DNA.
1: Hi, you're listening to Move Your Business to the United States. Just a quick word from our sponsors, Mount Bonnell Advisors. The people there have been advising clients on moving stateside for years. For all your needs, both business and practical, head over to mountbonnell.com to find out more. Thanks for listening.
0: Sebastian, you work with a lot of entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs in Europe, transiting into the United States. Do you, do you recognize this kind of uh, journey, this kind of uh, liberation that, that Ethan's talking about with them?
3: So yeah, I mean, I, I can totally, I, I totally agree with uh, 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 what, Ethan, what Ethan just said, and I want to expand on that a bit, because nowadays it has become somewhat fashionable to become an entrepreneur, you know, to start a business. And you're absolutely right. I mean, um, it has also become fashionable um, I mean like 15-20 years ago that everybody should do a university degree although most people are not cut out for it right and it's the same with being an entrepreneur I mean Eastman said very well I mean when you're an entrepreneur you, you experience the full spectrum of emotions that someone is possible in you know feeling the very highs and the very lows most people never have these unless you're on drugs you know I mean, it's a bit like that you know um, And and you see that there but I mean when it's tough it can be really tough and you know And when you have a wife and a family and you need to put food on the table, it can be very difficult. And in fact, I mean, I know of entrepreneurs where the wife said, you know, why do you do this? Why don't you get a proper job? You know, (laughs) it happens all the time. So, I mean, you have to be cut out for it. You need to have the support. Uh, You need to have the support um, um, of your family. And then it can be a very liberating experience.
0: Ethan, you're particularly, I mean, this is wonderful stuff, but you're of particular interest to us because you've actually worked in both the United States and in Europe in a European context. I know you've worked in other countries as well, but just focusing on Europe and the United States, what things would you be saying to entrepreneurs in Europe eyeing up the United States as a possible new frontier, as, as a new uh, a, a horizon for them to enter into, what sort of things would you say, well, entrepreneurialism is similar in lots of ways in different countries, but it, it's maybe not similar in other ways. Well, what sort of advice would you be giving to them?
2: I mean, there's there's a lot of the entrepreneurial journey that's the same. Um, I've, I've worked in London for a year and a half and and out of New York. Um, the U.S. has a lot more tolerance for future forward thinking and, and um, more innovative products that may not yield... Uh, you know, immediate results. uh, From my experience, Europe was much more focused in the short-term, medium-term. The U.S. is focused on medium-to-long-term Um, That creates a very different mindset and pool of investment. So a lot of the companies that I've worked for and with and mentor are always trying to get themselves in an investable position. So my particular area, which I know is a little bit different because you work with companies of all kinds, but my particular area was how to get attractive for investment. And so just to give you an example, in Europe, the valuations are much lower than the U.S. That's one example. Uh, And the reason the valuations are much lower... Uh, are for a number of reasons, but also including, they are looking at much more short-term, they wanna see the viable, they're looking at sort of the nuts and bolts of the business, and in the U.S., what's interesting, the conversations you're having are very different, because in the U.S., especially at a festival like where we're at, South By, you're really talking forward, thinking, how can we disrupt, how can we change markets? So the appetite for the U.S. to really be a market mover, to really be a disruptor, to be really a transformer, is much higher. (laughs) I found than there is in Europe. So that appetite to be a market disruptor. Um, in terms of in terms of talent, I would say that uncoding um, talent, it's probably very um, similar. I found great coders all across Europe as I did in the U.S. Designers and storytellers, I think, are where the real big difference is. I think one of the U.S.'s specialties in the world is design and storytelling. We do it, I think, better than anyone else in the world. Uh, I, one of our biggest exports is culture. That manifests itself through Hollywood. I think we do that Exceptionally well, it affects us. I mean, I, you know, by the time I'm 18, how many hours of, of of TV and movies have I consumed? So that, and I think that businesses, at least in the entrepreneurial world, it is a lot about storytelling. It's a lot about marketing, and the U.S. is really strong about that. And that's where a lot of conversations are happening. And that's where I saw. Um, the u.s uh, europe for instance would market at least in my observation it was much more about like the benefits of the products and it was much more tailored where in the u.s it'd be much more of a storytelling i've been having conversations for the last year about experiential retail and what the future of that is and i mean this is uh, we, we saw a lot of brand activations here at south by with brands that you'd never normally interact with here i think that's what the u.s is really good so I, I would say if you're innovative and future forward, and really thinking about dominating a whole market, or really creating um, a, a big change, and/or you really want to focus on a marketing and storytelling and design, I think we're—I think that's what the U.S. is really strong at. And so there's
0: a lot of lot in that, um, Ethan. I mean, Sebastian. I mean, a lot of what you're trying to do with Mount Bernal at the moment is 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 along those lines. I would I would imagine. Um,
3: yes, it is along those lines, and I think one of. The most important aspects, I think, of our work is um, often also to discourage people, for example, of moving to the United States, moving their business to the United States, because um, some people, you can be certain, you know, that they are bound for unhappiness, you know, for whatever reason. I mean, it could be simply a family reason. It could also be that they are, you know, that their product or their service would never work, uh, would never work in the U.S. And it's not easy, you know, to make it uh, in the U.S., especially for, for European entrepreneurs. So to understand that, what are the strengths of the particular product and service, and how to leverage that strength, you know, um, in the U.S. is it's one of the very, you know, crucial processes that um,
2: have to be facilitated to make this work. Can oh, can I just add one thing to that? So I think the U.S. is a great market for early adopters. And I think the U.S. as a market, you know, is over 300 million of us. It's a strong, robust, high-income, um, developed country that's willing to try a lot of things with a lot of ecosystems and infrastructure here. One of the things that I've interestingly run into that I found, and I'd love to get your opinion on this. So an entrepreneur will do a market assessment and they'll try to open a market without being in the market. And I think that's probably one of the worst things that they can do. Each market that you go into has a unique story to tell and that has to be adapted to that market. And that's what's crucial. So I'd love to get your opinion on that.
3: Um, I agree with that. I think in a way that um, what typically happens is that um, before somebody really sort of start setting up shop here and, you know, puts his put their feet on the ground here. They typically start selling to the U.S. from abroad. I mean, you could sell on Amazon with a British company. You can sell on Amazon with a German company. So they use this basically to test the water. And I think one of the benefits of social media and digital marketing has been that already now, you know, you can sort of target these uh, very small niches, you know, so basically, you can get used to the idea easily to amend marketing and storytelling in a way that it fits a certain niche and have a lot of different variations, you know, of the same of the same advertising. But what many, I think, European entrepreneurs underestimate is how they think. The, you know, I mean, the U.S. is the U.S. It's one big block. They think 300 million. You know, it's the same everywhere, which is not. I mean, they have the same currency. Um, The same language, maybe, but there are many different, um, you know, local markets or different, um, you know, um, age groups. So um, it is really not, um, you know, one has to identify this and one has to be aware of this. Look to the land and look to the sea. Wherever you may look in this world, you're apt to find something that got there because some American found a good way to put it together. A longer, higher bridge across a wider span of water. Slender missile driven into space, reaching across the oceans and reaching for other worlds.
2: You know, I just found this um, article the other day and was talking about the the United States is multiple countries. I think it was like 11 different countries. And each region has not only their different dialect, their different values, their different everything. I'd say even if you look at a broader perspective of not just U.S., Europe, if you're entering into a different market, you do have to do some base level really understanding of what trigger points to sell. I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, what makes a business? A business is, is, is... fundamentally two things. One is you've built a product or service that is needed and necessary by a community that shows that willingness to purchase it. That's half. But the other half is then communicating to that community that they're aware of said product. And that Communication, I think, is what's um, often key. And if you look at some of the biggest companies in the world, the one thread that they all have in common, despite being at different industries, is they nail the storytelling. They nail the ability to communicate their product and service and their value prop out to a broader audience.
3: So I, I totally agree. And this is so sort of one of the reasons why um, at Madman Advisors we have a separate sort of media entity called Madman Media that helps to tell the story of the European entrepreneur to an American audience, taking exactly that into consideration. So I totally agree with you that the actual storytelling... How to tell your story, whom to tell it to, and um, where to put the emphasis um, in, in this story um, is incredibly important always, but especially when you enter into a new market.
0: As well, just following on from that, Ethan, there's an element where um, so much of America is about European immigration and Europeans coming to America with, with, with a dream, often leaving either persecution or famine or hardship um, for, for a new land and a new world, which, which then they built now, I know there's, there's all sorts of things about the people that were living here before and all of that, I get that. But that germ of America being a fresh start and a new beginning where all things is possible is still very much part of the European DNA in countries like Ireland, Britain, Sweden, Germany. So the storytelling is in some ways a continuation of a narrative which started many hundreds of years ago. But what I'm kind of interested in as well from a Mount Bunnell perspective is that, do you think there is an entrepreneur who doesn't have a story? I mean, is it possible to be an entrepreneur without a story? I mean, you've told us your story tonight, which is fascinating in in, in the way in which something was discovered. You know, the classic idea of the quest for something. I mean, I I actually think entrepreneurs and storytelling are, are you know, they go together like ham and eggs or horse and cart, you know, I mean, you can't have an entrepreneur without a story. Would
2: you agree? Hmm. No. Um, I think there are things that, at least from what I've seen in all the countries I've visited, there are certain characteristics that every entrepreneur shares. And that's a desire for strong autonomy and a desire to control their destiny. That's the ability to envision a future where one yet does not exist. That is the ability to match a need and a service uh, match, a need, uh, uh, match a need, find a need in the market and deliver a solution. Sorry, a need and a match a need in a solution. And the fourth, and I think the most important is the ability to, I call it tacking as opposed to pivoting. So in sailing, tacking is the ability to adjust to capture the best sales while still having a target to reach. And the best entrepreneurs are willing. Uh, somebody, Somebody asked me Um, at South by and they said um, uh, you know they asked me what the one thing about us what's the most important thing about being a CEO and I've actually never had that question asked before Mm -hmm. Um, and my response was I think the single biggest mistake entrepreneurs make is to fall in love with their idea my advice to him was to fall in love with your process and to fall in love with your team And that is what entrepreneurial success is about. I think if you fall in love with your process, you'll learn and be able to tack appropriately. And if you fall in love with your team, at least as a CEO, you'll give them the tools and the capabilities they need to succeed. Bringing that back to the specific answer you had, um, there are plenty of entrepreneurs that have had much more, quote unquote, boring stories than me in terms of they worked a corporate job for 10 years. They saw a huge need in the marketplace. They had some savings. They started a business that did really well. I think when I talk about storytelling, what I mean is about the brand. Every product, and to a certain extent, with AI coming, every service can be commoditizable. But the one unique thing that you can always control in entrepreneurship is the brand. And so, when I talk about storytelling, it's it's less about me as an entrepreneur. I don't focus myself at all. I focus on the the product and the brand.
0: I, I get that totally, um, Ethan. I, on our website, and when we're talking about storytelling, and that we actually see that the brand is an extension of something of the entrepreneur. So I, I'd like to challenge you on that, that actually, you know, the the, 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 on, the entrepreneur's um, unconscious,
2: if you like, is actually the product. What do you think of that? That is a way. I personally think that really good entrepreneurs create businesses that can survive without them. And in fact, in doing so, become better entrepreneurs there are paths and businesses that are run by cult of personalities where an entrepreneur is the product i mean steve jobs we all think of and that was apple and when you are changing the ecosystem to some extent there is you have to look at the startup ecosystem there's or the entrepreneurial ecosystem there's all kinds of businesses that are that are considered that There's the apples that are, you know, creating an entire market and disrupting a market. But there are plenty of other um, companies that made a better T-shirt, companies that uh, provide an interesting video streaming services, all kinds of jobs. And and that's when I – what I've seen, this DNA thread, is that entrepreneurial cult of personality, if I can – if it's okay to disagree – That, that entrepreneurial cultural personality is not a requirement to be an entrepreneur. It can be a benefit if you have it, if you're going after certain markets. If you're going after something really innovative, something just absolutely and completely different, if you're going to transform a market, having a strong personality, at least in the beginning, is good. But I think a lot about resilience and sustainability. For most entrepreneurs, what they start out doing is not what they end up doing. And that's why, and that's why I said it. Go back to fall in love with your process, fall in love with your team.
0: Sebastian that's really food for thought in in terms of reflecting on your own journey and your own company at this moment in time what's your take on that?
3: Yeah I mean that's exactly my own experience I mean I started various companies and um, I think the most successful ones were the ones that ended up to be totally different than what they were you know um what the perception was of what the business idea actually was, you know. I mean, there was some sort of commonality, I guess. Um, but as you go along, you know, um, there needs to be willingness to change, you know, because often opportunities and the real value you only discover as you go along. Might be easier conversation with a customer, a client. He says, you know, what about this and this and this? Can you do this for me? And you never thought about actually doing this and then thinking about it. You think, Christ, this is actually much better, you know, um, than, than the original idea. So, I, I, yeah, I, I concur. I mean, this is, um, this is absolutely true. You need to be open. You need to be open to change because really your own idea is only at the starting point because you need something to start. If you have no idea, you can never start, right? But it's basically to get the ball rolling and then you basically
2: take it from there. I, I could not agree more... So I'm in the process right now. I'm in my own journey to figure out what I'm going to do next. And, and someone at South By asked me how I'm going to decide. And, and I thought I'd share that with you because I have a kind of a three-pronged approach to figuring out what my next idea is. And, and I love that, by the way. The idea is the start. And good entrepreneurs know. That know that they accept that. They um, So my my three ways of figuring out, you know, what I'm going to do next, and I think this is a good evaluation for any idea. I always start with market opportunity. Um, I know that while well, I know the idea is, I want to know that I'm in a big enough space that's interesting enough, where the needs are high enough, where it will translate into a real business. Because as nice as we can talk about storytelling, as nice as we can talk about that, there is a fundamental part of business which is you've created a service and you sell it for more than you make it. You sell a product or service, and you sell it for more than you make it, and you need to make a profit. And that's just bottom line. And if you're playing in the right market opportunity, that's important. So I, my first pillar is market opportunity. The second pillar is do I have the team to execute? Because ideas are completely worthless without the ability to execute. And then the third is that I ask myself, is this what I'm here on earth for? Is this like a, a good use and a good time of talent? And the way that I look at it is any entrepreneurial journey is is minimal three to five years could be 15 or 20 but it's at least three to five years on the journey that you have to be prepared to commit. If you consider that a typical career at its longest is 40 years you're talking about if you're willing to commit an idea that's 10 to 15 percent of your career working life. You need to be able to just be okay with that and say no this is a really good use of my skill set. So Ethan it's been an amazing uh, privilege to meet you at South By and
0: um, what you've said is really really thought-provoking. If there's an entrepreneur in Europe listening to this who has been successful what just one little nugget piece of advice would you give them who are eyeing up America as not a business opportunity but as a life opportunity? What, what word of encouragement, if that's the right phrase, would, would you give them at this moment?
2: <clears throat> First of all, it's I think the most beautiful country on earth with its <clears throat> deserts and its mountains and its multiple oceans. Um, and there's a huge community here building the future and if you're innovative and you're forward thinking, you're gonna be expect- accepted with open arms.
0: That's a wonderful finish. Ethan, thank you very much for your time. really appreciated you having on the show. Thank you.
2: Thank you.
1: Next time on Move Your Business to the United States.
0: Day three of the Mount Panel adventure here at uh, South by Southwest. We're walking down uh, City Chavez, right beside the conference center. You can hear the traffic, you can hear the people. Everything is buzzing today. That's the key word around here, buzz.
1: You've been listening to Move Your Business to the United States with me, Kevin Turley. A huge thanks to my producer, Emmett Glynn, who produced this podcast for Mount Bunnell Media. To find out more, go to mountbunnell.com. And remember, dream big, dream America.